DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. We've had Stuart Mandel on the show. He writes for The Athletic now. He's written for a couple different publications over the years, but he's at The Athletic now, longtime national college football writer. He uh, does a mailbag, PK, takes all kinds of questions from all kinds of people, and there's a couple of them uh, that are interesting. One's about USC recruiting. We can get to that in a minute, about why it runs hot and cold and uh, what the reasons are for that. Uh, but he also takes this question. He's asked, uh, uh, you now run college football and you get to move four group of five teams to the Power Five and demote four Power Five teams to the G5. Who do you pick? Where do you put them? And why? Christian, uh, you want to uh, take a guess at the four and what he moves? You want me to read them off and then you just go with your legendary gut reaction, whether you love it, hate it, don't really care one way or another. Which game do you want to play? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, here we go. Are you ready for the four he'd move down? Vanderbilt, let's be honest, the Commodores are in the SEC to serve as an easy football win while propping up the league's academics. Vanderbilt has had four winning seasons in 40 years and has no hope of ever winning the conference. What do you think? Uh, True. Wake Forest, back in 2011, during the height of realignment, statistician Nate Silver tried to quantify which FBS school had the largest fan bases. Wake, which has the smallest Power 5 undergraduate enrollment, came in 100th. Would you drop Wake Forest down? Uh, I'd have to see what my options are first. Oregon State. The Beavers have had their moments over the past couple of decades. The BCS Bowl in 2000, one 10-win season, another 9-win year under Mike Raleigh. But for the most part, it's been a long uphill climb to remain relevant. No, I would not. Kansas, I don't want to get too caught up in recency bias, but come on, Jayhawks. You're averaging 2.1 wins a year over the past decade. Maybe go and try and dominate the AAC instead. Yeah, I like that. Obviously, they got a great basketball program. I'm not sure what the rest of the athletic programs are like. They did go to the Orange Bowl that one season with that, I uh, can't think was it yeah. Mancini? What was that guy's name? Uh, yeah. The, the, the coach right. there. The, Mark Mangino. Yeah, Mangino, and so they had that one season, but uh, Kansas seems like they've been a laughing stock in football for a number of years. You know, it, I, I went golfing uh, uh, last week down south, and uh, I got hooked up with a couple of Arizona guys, and these guys, I mean, they were in their, they were middle-aged dudes, and the, they were hardcore Arizonas. One guy had an Arizona bag and Arizona golf shoes, and what do they want to do? Well, they want to talk basketball. Right, because you're not going to talk football. Same thing with Kansas. They, you, if you're a Kansas fan, you have to be basketball because you're certainly not going to be football. And so, yeah, I can see where Kansas has just not been a productive at all. It seems like a waste of time in football. Yeah, for most of the basketball schools, Arizona, Kansas, Duke, uh, Kentucky. Um, I don't know who else you want to throw on that list. Indiana over the years. Uh, you know, most of them haven't had very good football programs. Duke's been a little better recently. Of the basketball powerhouses the last, you know, 50 years, probably UCLA's had the most football success. Um, largely what you say holds true. You tend to be good in one or the other. And the, bas- the schools that are really good in basketball tend not to be very good in football. What you say about Kansas is also true about Oregon State and Wake Forest. In the BCS era, they each had one one big year and one BCS team. Uh, Vandy didn't. So those are the four he would move down. Uh, swapping out Kansas, it looks like he's, he's kind of done this regionally. Swapping out Kansas, he goes with Houston. Besides the fact it's the nation's fourth largest city, the Cougars have reached bowl games in seven of the past nine seasons while producing stars like Case Keenum, Ed Oliver, and William Jackson III. Um, 
they haven't been at their best the last couple years, but they've certainly had a bunch of good teams there. Uh, Vandy and Cincinnati kind of match up. He says the Bearcats were a BCS conference program for nearly a decade that reached back-to-back BCS bowls, but wound up the odd man out in conference shuffling. And Ohio is still football, still a big deal in Ohio. Uh, Wake Forest would Certainly be is. yeah. Wake Forest would be replaced by uh, Central Florida. UCF. I've been beating the drum since even before Scott Frost's undefeated season. Major market, rich recruiting turf, impressive facilities, forty-four thousand seat on-campus stadium, and now a nationally known brand. I could live with that. And Oregon You're saying you could live with that, or yeah, he could live with that. I could. He wants to move UCF, and I totally get why UCF you know would fit in the ACC. Uh, totally makes sense to me. You know, and you can say, okay. well, they've already got we, Miami, Miami and Florida State. Do they need a third team in Florida? Well, they got four in North Carolina. What's wrong with three in Florida? And then the, in the West, they've got BYU. BYU is a de facto Power 5 program already with a 63,000-seat stadium, a more recent national title than Georgia, among others, and an international fan base. So out with Oregon State and in with BYU. I was a little surprised he didn't move Boise State up, but he didn't. Yeah. I, I could agree with you. I mean, an international fan base. I can tell you, anytime I go to Columbia and you have a Cougar gear on, which I've done, I mean, they, they just know. They know who Steve Young is. They know who Taysom Hill is. And so they do have that international fan base. I don't know that that matters. You're not playing international games. But nevertheless, they do have a fan base in the country. Yeah. If you're just going strictly on football and that's what we're looking at, then I've got no problem putting the Cougars in. But I think you also got to put Boise State in because whatever those other programs have been doing at a high level, Boise State's been doing it longer. Now there's the thought of academics and the research and all that other crap. Uh, but as far as football, I think you got to go Boise for sure. The only other thing you could be dinging Boise State for is the attendance. You know, that Idaho just doesn't have a lot of people and Boise State isn't going to pack in 50,000. But I'm with you. I was surprised when I saw this list that Boise State didn't wasn't one of the four schools he moved up. If you're going to go on attendance, then you better drop Stanford. Oh, and you better drop you better drop Washington State. He did not drop Stanford, probably due to all their winning, and he didn't drop he didn't drop Wazoo. He went with Oregon State instead, and, and certainly under Leach, Washington State had more success on the field in the last decade than Oregon State has. They didn't make it clear. I mean, it's just a mailbag, so you know, take it for what it's worth. He didn't make it clear whether this was permanent and forever, if this was for one year, five years, ten years. I guess based on any of those things, you know, you can alter your argument a little bit. Well, you know what they should do though is that every year take four teams, have them go to Dayton, and then the winners are in. I like it. Not going to happen. <laughs> Elitist. Why not? They we, are, it's their we, birthright. We They're more, in and they will stay in. <laughs> we need more TV. We need more live yep. programming. Could you imagine every year? You kick off the season, or, or maybe you could do it at the end of the season and for the following year. We send four teams to Dayton, and two get to be in the Power Five the following season. Or you can do it in August, and they can do it for that very season. Can you imagine the attention that would be out there? 
yep. for those games. That would be incredible. We want TV events. Come on. Let's think out the box. Locke wants to have Mike Trout bat every time, and he's the only guy who bats all 27 outs, right? And so let's, let's, this, this is the time. You quote Bob Costas, now's the time. I mean, you're an idea guy. You've always been a genius when it comes to that. Create some ideas. Go ahead. Call up uh, Benson, the old commissioner of the WAC. Get him out, uh, Carl Benson. Get him out there, and he can start making these changes. Come on, guys. Now's the time. What do you got? I'm saying have four teams, and the, the two winners get to be in a Power 5 league for that season. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? I'm all about it. I think the bowl season's perfect for that. I don't think you go to Dayton, although I see what you're doing there, and it's very clever. But uh, <laughs> you, you go somewhere, you park them in uh, Jarrah World in Texas or somewhere in California or Florida, yeah, and you have conference champions play each other in the bowl season, and the, and the winner is in. That'd be awesome. And... and Conversely, uh, I'm I'm up for a losers out game. You know, you want to square off a couple of one and eleven teams to see who's out. I would watch that Akron and UMass from this past year. No, no, be, well, because they're going to drop down into the. Uh, they would drop. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, but no, I was thinking you know, somebody, the power five. Yeah, somebody level. in the power five who. So a, yeah, Kansas, Kansas and whoever else really sucked. Yeah, yeah. The bottom, you know, what's Illinois doing or somebody else who's the bottom of the hey, barrel? Illinois made a bowl game this past year. Yeah, they, they, <laughs> somebody, well, it would depend on which the way it would work is that the the two winners get to pick their conference and they get to pick the team that would get beat, that would get eliminated. So then you have that. So you have the selection of the four, then the two winners you wait a week because then they'd have to study, right? And then you'd come back in a week, and they would say, I want to be in that conference. And they get to pick the team that they want out. So, obviously, BYU beats Central Florida, say, Houston, Boise, whoever it may be. And then they get to pick, and they say, we're going in the Pac-12 and the team that we want out of the Pac-12, well, guess which team they're picking? <laughs> the youth are out. <laughs> the team that won the South is out. Yeah, that doesn't work. I think it's more likely that Rutgers... Oh, yes, it does! Rutgers and Kansas go to, go, to, go to Dayton, and the loser is out. You guys are both 2-10. and 10. We can't have both of you around here stinking this thing up. Somebody's got to go. Okay. You can create a situation if you didn't win more than two games in your conference play, not at a conference, but your conference play, then you're eligible to be booted out on a one-year basis. Could you imagine oh Colorado gosh. and Utah, say, going into that last game and Colorado is 1-7? <laughs> and they got to win. Gotta win. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, we got to win. We can't be the team the that gets sent down. <laughs> The Pac-12 oh, last on, year, man. The, the Pac-12 last year had one team that was worse than three and six. Colorado, Stanford, and Wazoo were all three and six. The Arizona Wildcats, two and seven, baby. Oh, 
Well, that Good would night, be everybody. awesome. That would be my pick every year. <laughs> They're yeah. out. Yeah, it's relegation. They already... Sorry, Tucson. PK, everything you threw out there, I know people think you're ridiculous, but everything you threw out there about the whole playoff is what they do in uh, English soccer. And it is the biggest thing. And there is one match, and they call it, I forget what they call it, is it the $10 million match or some handle for it. So like the... It's in, now like the $70 million what, Yeah, right? And so like one and two move up. And then three, four, five, and six have a playoff. And then whoever wins of those. And whoever play. wins that little 14 playoff in the final game after the first two are eliminated in the semis, they played at Wembley. They draw 80,000. It's like the only game on English TV. They're all gambling over there and everybody's watching it. And literally, that's the event you're talking about creating. It would 100% work. People would absolutely yeah, watch BYU in Central Florida or Boise State in Cincinnati or whoever, just ready, just like, this is it. It's all out there. And those, those teams, you know they'd be in the locker room like, we're the team that's going to do this. They're always going to remember us. They would come out. Those kids would be so jacked up. Right. We can call it the non-toilet bowl. <laughs> the non-toilet bowl. Thanks. Alright, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Brian Keel. Fourth round pick in the 2008 NFL Draft. Former BYU linebacker, played in the NFL. He is going to join us next with the draft coming up Thursday. And we'll get his thoughts on that and the local players and tips for them and what he thinks of them. That's coming up. Stay with us, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. And now, attention, top of the wire. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. New England Patriots have agreed to trade tight end Rob Gronkowski to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with a seventh-round pick in exchange for a fourth-round pick in this week's draft. Gronk will reunite with Tom Brady in Tampa. Currently no plans to adjust the four-team college football playoff, according to Bill Hancock, the college football playoff executive director, telling ESPN Tuesday after two days of virtual CFP spring meetings, my bosses are happy with the current setup. Steve Kerr told ESPN's Rachel Nichols that he and other Bulls teammates did not resent Scottie Pippen for undergoing foot surgery just before training camp in 1998. Michael Jordan was critical of Pippen during the last dance, part two, Sunday night. Miami Marlins part owner and CEO Derek Jeter telling employees during a conference call he is foregoing his salary during the coronavirus pandemic. Jeter reportedly has a $5 million annual salary. Top of the Wire is brought to you by Syringa Network. Syringa is home to complete business telecom and IT solutions backed by an industry-leading SLA that guarantees the uptime your business needs. It's effective communications for 21st century Utah. Get started now at syringanetworks.net. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Tony Pauline, NFL draft analyst. I've been around Jordan for the last three years. Know him well. Where do you anticipate he lands, and uh, is he a first-round pick? I do believe he's a first-round pick. I think he's a mid-first-round pick. The Miami Dolphins have been scouting Jordan Love hard for the past three years. They like Jordan Love a lot. been a big fan of uh, Jordan Love. I think you've got to really go back and watch the film on him in 2017, 2018 to get a complete uh, analysis of, of his game. I think in the right system, he'll do well at the next level. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.
DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80, The Zone. PK, we really haven't gotten to it this morning, but uh, we're all looking for little hints of when sports might be back. The Korean baseball organization opened their preseason without fans in the stands yesterday. Umpires wore gloves and masks. The league plans to open play in a regular season on May 5th. We've never really followed Korean baseball that much, but somehow I think we'll all be looking at this for little hints about uh, what Major League Baseball might be able to do. Oh, for sure. I agree with you. Hopefully it works. Uh, There are also reports out there today that uh, minor league baseball is prepared to accept a proposal from major league baseball, which would cut more than 40 minor league teams. Uh, Really, the bullseyes on rookie ball and what they do with the players who are drafted immediately after the draft. Historically, they've gone off to leagues like the Pioneer League, which is where the Ogden Raptors and Orm Owls play. And uh, it looks like they're looking to cut the entire Pioneer League as part of a cut down to 120 affiliated teams, basically losing 40 of them and reorganizing what they do with these newly drafted players and that, uh, that sucks for a lot, of, uh, a lot of communities that uh, love that kind of stuff, a lot of smaller towns. Maybe some will survive with some sort of independent baseball but I, I would expect most are going away. Yeah, that's what's known as the short A season. It starts after the draft, sort of like the second or third week of June. And, yeah, that does suck. No question about it. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Waiting for Brian Keel to check in, former BYU linebacker and uh, former fourth-round pick in the 2008 NFL Draft. We can bring this up with him, but I think in a previous conversation, he comes with a, comes on with us usually a couple times during the football season, but uh, he admitted the lure of the Pac-12. If, if he had been a Pac-12-era guy, which he was not, um, that the lure of playing in the Pac-12 would have, uh, would have really... Uh, he would have really found that interesting and intriguing. And I think that's one thing we're about to see played out here in the draft is that the Utes are getting all kinds of players, both local and from out of state, guys who in another era they wouldn't have gotten. And this draft is going to reinforce. I saw some stuff saying that Clemson and Alabama may end up with, uh, depending on how it plays out late, 11, 12, 13, 14 guys drafted somewhere in there, uh, double digits but not up to 15. And so if the Utes are in that 7, 8, 9 range, they're, they're not that far off what you know the biggest and best and most successful college football programs are doing. Absolutely. The, th- the difference, I would assume, is that Alabama and Clemson are probably doing that more consistently. Uh, we have Brian Keel on every week during the football season. And, uh, yeah, I think the Pac-12 has made a significant difference. As a kid like Zach Moss, who's going to go in this draft, obviously, in the next couple of days, would he come all the way to Florida if they were playing Mountain West football? I don't know the answer to that, but I can make an argument that the case would be no. And he has become their career-leading rusher, and he's an outstanding young man. Always, always enjoy talking to him. The kid had his head on straight. It's as straight as could possibly be. He had a purpose to come to Utah, and he fulfilled it and achieved it. Wish him nothing but the, say, uh, the ultimate success that he could possibly have, as much success as he could have in the NFL. Same thing for Simpkins and Huntley. You know, they weren't as renowned. Although Huntley, man, I'm not going to doubt him. I hope he gets a shot, and I think he will get a shot. And if he makes an NFL roster, that's a phenomenal success story for that kid uh, to come all the way out here, obviously an African-American, and doing what he did. It would be just a great, great story. would love to see it. And part of that reason I would think that they were able to draw these kids in is because the conference that they play in, whereas before, it would be a much tougher sell.
Yeah, I can't imagine they would have brought the three Florida guys out and, uh, you know, how it would have worked out. Francis Bernard's a guy we haven't talked about much, but when you start saying, hey, I, I know the five guys who are going to get drafted, many of whom will probably go the first two days, we haven't really talked about Francis Bernard, but if they're going to get to seven, eight, nine, he's the kind of guy, you know, will he get drafted the third day? You know, it, that's uh, it's a position that they haven't been as good at. We're used to their defensive linemen and their DBs getting drafted. But if he gets drafted, you're starting to see uh, a few linebackers now. Obviously, he's following the footsteps of Cody Barton, who went to Seattle as a third round pick. Uh, you just it just kind of reinforces the fact: hey, the linebackers are getting upgraded, and it's one more point when they go to recruit linebackers to say to a linebacker: hey, our linebackers are getting better. They get to play behind this defensive line, and and look at what guys are doing with the NFL now. Look where Cody Barton got drafted. Look what happened with Francis Bernard. So he'll be in he'll be an intriguing story uh, to see how this shakes out for him Friday or Saturday night. Oh, I think Francis Bernard is playing in the NFL next season. He had a really good season that was right up there with uh, Barton and Chase Hansen. Chase Hansen obviously had injury issues. Cody Barton Barton rose himself from the ashes, so to speak, and uh, got himself to where he is now. It's a great, great success story. It's along the lines of a Terrell Burgess. Uh, Pay your dues, bide your time, overcome uh, whatever issues, not, not, I'm, talking, I'm talking about off the field issues, I'm talking about playing time, uh, fight through it, overcome it, get on the field, uh, your stock goes uh, soaring, I think that's, that, that, uh, you're a great kid, you've got no character issues, I think that's what we have with Terrell Burgess too, and I think we'll see him get drafted, yeah, I'm expecting most of these kids to get drafted, I'm expecting most of these kids to be on NFL rosters next season because they were that good, and linebacking crew, I mean, they've had some really good linebackers the last couple of years, and Devin Lloyd is the next guy in line, you look at his body and you just go, wow, that kid's got an NFL built for sure, just screams at you, so yeah, I, I mean, I whatever pass they may have had with the linebacker issues, I think those are done, I mean, they, they're, they're solid all the way around. And we're going to see it with the number of kids that are going to go in the NFL this season. Kyle Whittingham meeting with the media, a Zoom interview, and here are his thoughts on Francis Bernard. Francis Bernard, what a great uh, young man to have in our program. Uh, one of one of my favorite players that's ever come through here. Uh, great work ethic, great attitude. I don't want to say he turned his life around. I don't believe he was ever a bad kid. I think he was just uh, got himself in a couple bad situations. He's, he's a guy that uh, did everything we asked for an entire time he was here. Uh, another kind of like Terrell Burgess, Burgess. He was very patient that first year he was playing. He was behind some really good linebackers and uh, waited his turn. And when his turn came, uh, uh, last year, he made the most of it, uh, played his tail off, had a terrific year, and now has put himself in position to be drafted. And, and uh, you know, that's really, if you say what is the most rewarding thing about uh, being a college football coach, I think it's that, is seeing these guys that uh, maybe have made a few bad decisions or, or uh, not really sure about what's going on in their life and to see them just turn into to responsible uh, young men and, and guys that, uh, you know, get their degree and, and have a future and, and are ready to contribute to society. He ran through a long list of athletes, including Francis Bernard, and uh, kind of gave the pitch of what he's been given to the scouts who uh, talked to him. And another guy he talked about is uh, Tyler Huntley. 
Right. It's unfortunate that we didn't have a chance to to have a pro day. So those guys that didn't go to the uh, combine, which there was only a handful, most of them did get the opportunity to go to the combine. I think there was eight or nine of them. And so it was a big disappointment for uh, for Tyler not to be able to uh, showcase his skills here. But I've had a lot of scouts and, and uh, upper management people call me about Tyler and express interest. And uh, you know he's been working hard. He's added even more weight. I haven't seen him in person for a few months, but tells me he looks great and uh, has really you know just been doing everything he can possibly do to get himself ready and all it takes is one team to really like you if you get one team that really likes you that's all that matters and so there's been uh, like I said many teams express interest and in, in getting my input on Tyler and, and uh, he's hungry he wants to play in that league and he's doing everything he possibly can to uh, make that happen Got to expect that he's still got some upside and can Kyle talk someone into saying, hey, look at this guy as your third or uh, if you carry uh, an extra quarterback, you know, on the practice squad, look at this guy as someone to invest in in the long run. Uh, yeah, when you look at the number of quarterbacks who make the league and you think, oh, gosh, man, I never even heard of that kid and he bounces around and uh, who knows uh, where he came from and how he got there, uh, that Tyler Huntley's going to get his shot. Francis Bernard, I do, I do disagree completely with Kyle. The most rewarding aspect is to see a kid like a Burgess who had to find his way, and then Bernard had a couple off the field issues. Now he's married and all that stuff. And Kyle says that's the most rewarding. Yeah, I think the most rewarding is the four million dollar paycheck. But that's just me. <laughs> yeah, but he's gotten used to it. Is the four million dollar paycheck? That much cooler than the $3 million paycheck? I mean, they're not building yes. new islands in Hawaii. He goes to the same island for the same amount of time, regardless of whether he makes That's not true. He went to a three, different island. Four. He, went to a, he went to a different island this year. I know that. Oh, was that because he, he changed was, uh, islands. Oh, he did. Okay. Was that because he had more money, or is that just because he was bored and uh, wanted to mix it up and, you know, see something different? I don't know the answer to that, uh, but uh, I, ju- I do know over spring break, or at least that was the plan that he told me ahead of time there. Uh, but, uh, yeah, why, why does, Yak, why does DJ live in Utah? Paycheck. I'll just tell you, Yak, you don't need to play. Paycheck. That's why I live in Utah. <laughs> there you go. It was, you, you nailed it. <laughs> and... Uh, why do we paycheck do? Paycheck is why I live in Utah. Do? I mean, that's yeah. I mean, that was so cold and calculating. And here we thought I don't lie to the people, the PK. I was in Sacramento. I had two uh, job offers. I picked this one. Here I am. Boom. Of course, he had two job offers. And since you've been here, you've had like forty-seven opportunities. And come on, it's a little on the high side. Oh, <laughs> two. I've never had two job offers ever. And you, I've got two job offers. How have you (laughs) built this this bogus image of being the guy next door? Very carefully. (laughs) That was my best. I love that one. (laughs) You can play that one every day, Yuck. (laughs) Now, what he needs to do, take out my stumbling, though. How have you, and then edit out the stuttering, and then go with the stumbling, stumbling, and then go with Bill. So clean that up for me, Yak. You're stumbling while you're you're talking about stumbling. You're stumbling on the stumble. Right. Don't use that. Oh, okay. Let's play all my bloopers, but none of yours. You're really a pain in the ass. You know that, right? (laughs) I just want to be clear. 
All right, I we're can't at- believe you said that about Jake Scott. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> Jake enjoyed it a lot. <laughs> All right. So uh, we were hoping to get Brian Keel here. I don't know what's happening. He's not answering his phone. We will uh, double back with him. Unless, wow, as soon as they say that, the phone rings. We were about to produce this show on the air and get some more of uh, Kyle's sound bites, but I think Brian is checking in right now. Yes, affirmative. Brian Keel. All right, let's welcome him in. Brian Keel. Brian Keel. Hey, how's it going? Brian Keel, former BYU linebacker, former fourth round pick in the 2008 NFL draft. Brian, good morning. Good morning, fellas. How you guys doing? Excellent. So, you get the flashbacks now. It's the draft. You remember the sweaty palms, stressed out, family asking you how it's going, wishing you'd just leave me alone. I'm stressed out. <laughs> Those, they were good times. You know what's funny? Um, you, you, you say that uh, actually brings back a memory. Um, I was so anxious for it to, to be over with because I got so sick of everybody asking me, where, where, where are you going to go? Who are you going to go to? And I remember being like, I have no idea. I'll find out when you find out. I have no idea. <laughs> good times, though. Good times. So we talked to Trevor Riley. He went in the seventh round, and he, so he knew that he wasn't going to go early, so he didn't uh, have anxiety in the beginning. But then when it got down to that uh, last portion, he said he had to go golf, and he just couldn't sit around the house. He said, so he went out and played some golf. What did you do though, at that time? Yeah, so we, um, you know, I, it's funny. A little while ago I was talking to some guys, and I said um, basically every year, Every single person that gets drafted gets drafted lower than they expect to go, except for one guy. <laughs> There's one guy every year that goes right where he expects to go, and then everybody after that is disappointed because they, they should have gone higher, right? And so, um, so that, you know, anyway, for me, you know, I thought I was going to go higher than I did. Uh, we all do. And, um, and so you, you kind of – you're a little disappointed. And so with me and my family um, – we were we were just at home, and it was funny because when I did go, we were kind of checked out of it a little bit because you get with every pick, you're so anxious. Maybe this is the one. Maybe this is the one, and um, you can only do that for so long. And um, so for me, when I when I did get picked um, by the Giants fourth round, I actually we had actually kind of stopped paying close attention. We were just I mean the draft was still on on the TV and everything, but. Um, we were kind of just chit-chatting, and I almost missed the phone call because um, I just wasn't paying attention, and and um, I you know rang almost rang all the way through, and then but I you know on the last ring basically I heard it, and you know in my phone in my pocket, and and uh, and got it, and sure enough it was the Giants, and you know the rest is history. But you know it was, it was a fun day; it was absolutely a dream come true. So I don't know how well you know Trevor, but he told the story, and if you know him, this is classic. He said that the Jets called him when he was golfing, and they were saying, hey, we got a couple picks here in the seventh round, but if we don't get you, we definitely want to sign you as a free agent. And he was in that irritable phase that you know so well, and he told them, hey, if you don't use one of of these two picks, I don't know who I'm signing with, but it's not you. <laughs> and then I like it. his agent called him and told him, he said, Hey, what did you tell the Jets? And so he repeated to him, he goes, You know, you probably ought to be running that kind of stuff by me before you just blurted out to an NFL team. And he said, But I think it kind of worked. I think they liked the answer. <laughs> and sure enough, the Jets drafted yeah. him. Classic. They probably like a little, little, little piss in the fire there. That was that's pretty good. That's a good story. It, it is. It's, it's one of those days and one of those situations. It's un. 
unlike anything else, you don't really know what to expect or how to react. And there, there is a flood of emotions, and I can totally understand that and that mentality. In the NFL, I mean, the guys, it's funny all the little games they play. Um, and a lot of guys that, that go in, ended up going uh, as a free agent, you know, they, they get they get those calls at the end. And I, it's kind of kind of a jerk move if you ask me. And they, they the teams will call those guys and string them along, like, hey, we're going to take you here, we're going to take you here. And, um, and and a lot of times the teams aren't even planning on taking them in that sixth or seventh round. They just want to kind of string them along and and get them get them liking them, which is funny because it's almost like the opposite. Because, you know, if they tell a guy they're going to take them and they don't, then, yeah, you, you should react like Trevor and kind of be pissed off. But it, it's the NFL. They're going to do what they're going to do. So, Brian, you get drafted by the Giants, as you say. And then what happens next as far as when you go back to the New York area? What what For these kids who get drafted here in the next coming days, what should they expect to happen immediately after the draft? Yeah, so if you go, I mean, the, obviously the, the first round picks, they'll, they'll go out there that day or the next day um, for the press conference and, and all, that, all that jazz. Um, basically, from the second round on, um, you, you know, you, you don't go out there until they have their first um, rookie minicamp. And, um, and for the Giants, if I remember, it was, um, I think it was about a week later that they had their first. Um, rookie minicamp. And so in that next week, um, the linebacker coach was calling me and he kind of going over the playbook and going over some stuff. And he, he just kind of wanted to get a jump start on it. And it was, it was important because the, the Giants, their, their, their uh, defense was really complicated with Steve Spagnola. And uh, so that, that, that head start was, was critical for, for trying to understand it. Um, I was actually with Dave Nixon yesterday, um, and we were talking about how complicated that defense is. But, yeah, so you go out there for the, that first um, rookie minicamp, and it's just all rookies, and, and it's just, you know, it's baptism by fire. They just are feeding you with a, a water hose, a fire hose, trying to get you trying to get you up to speed and get, get everything inside your brain as fast as they can, and it's, it's just a whirlwind, and it's just um, – you know, it, it, like I said, it's a fun time. It's a special time in your life, but it's also it's really stressful and nerve wracking and and uh, just absolutely just a, a whirlwind. So uh, it's interesting because I don't think that they're going to fly anyone out for a press conference this year. Because honestly, the last press conference I was at would have been uh, post game the day Rudy touched the microphones. That was in the <laughs> that was in the shoot around at ten a.m. So it wasn't that. But after the game that night. And then that was it. And everything's been remote since then. They might have to do something remote. If you're a rookie and you don't get a, uh, you don't get a rookie minicamp and everything's delayed and, and the schedule is compressed, then, and, and you can probably answer this better, you know, there must be in the locker room, there must, guy, must be guys who are mentally or really dialed into things. And it would seem like those guys would have an advantage because if all you're meeting is... Um, you know, you're, you know, all the whatever your position group is meets with that position coach and he tells you a bunch of stuff and then you got to watch film cut-ups and think about it because there is no practice. It would seem like that would play to some guy's strength and, and could play against other guys. Yeah, so it's funny. Um, I was thinking about that, that dynamic the other day of how, you know, this, this thing that's going on, you know, it's going to eliminate probably all of spring. Uh, stuff that the, the NFL does, um, all of OTAs, all of that stuff, and then uh, hopefully 
you know, heaven forbid it's still going on in the fall, uh, but hopefully it's gone by then and the season's able to, um, you know, not just for football, obviously, for every other reason. But anyway, hopefully it's gone in the fall and the, and the season is able to go on. But I think about that dy- dynamic and how, how big of a disadvantage that is for the rookies because um, you the rookies, you know, are getting thrown out there. They, they need that spring to – to get up to speed, to understand the, the new offense and defense and the nuances of the game. And it is so much more complex than college football. I can't even – you can't even explain it to someone who hasn't experienced it. It is, it is just – it's not like going from high school to college. It is – you know, it's like skipping college and going to, to a Ph.D. It, 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 it's, it's, it, the jump is just so much bigger, and, and especially mentally. And, and you need all of that time – in, in the, the film room with the coach and in the playbook and learning all that stuff. So it is a big, big disadvantage. And I actually was thinking back several years ago um, when they had the lockout. Uh, it was my my fourth year um, in the league. They, they had that lockout. And, and, and so we missed the whole spring. It was the same type of thing. The rookies that year were at a disadvantage. And they didn't, you know, they didn't show up until right when training camp started in the fall. And, and then it's, you know, it's just double speed for those guys and and for for other guys that you talked about with that mental edge and that's how I looked at it was the, the lockout um, I know this situation is different but um, some similar dynamics there the way I looked at it was the lockout was I thought you know there's going to be other guys that aren't going to take this time on their own and put the work in and I'm going to use that to my advantage I'm going to put the work in so that when we do show up I'm ahead of them and that actually did kind of work out to my favor. And, and if I was still playing right now in college or the NFL, that's how I would look at it. I'd be looking at it like, man, there's going to be a lot of guys out there who are just on the couch right now, and I'm, I'm going to use this time to get to lap them. And, and that's kind of just the mindset that I would have taken it, or that, that I would take it right now. Did you have a chance to see Francis Bernard play at all? And if so, could you evaluate his chances as a linebacker in the NFL? Yeah, so I, I watched a bunch of Utah games last year um, and and uh, watched Francis a ton and <clears throat> obviously watched him when he played at BYU. And um, I played a bunch of basketball with him um, at Lifetime pickup games as well. So I know Francis really well. He's a good dude and um, super super athletic uh, for a linebacker. Obviously, you know, he was a running back and moved over to linebacker. And, and he, he, he's because he's more athletic than the typical – Linebacker, and I actually expected him to test better than he did. I was I was kind of surprised at some of his time um, because he's he's more athletic than his numbers showed, and um, but he he's very fluid and smooth in his movements, and you know he's just he's just an athlete, just able to control, have really good body control, and and um, and in terms of playing linebacker, uh, he has a really high motor, which is which is huge. And um, he, he brings a good pop when he hits, and he's he's, he's got great instincts, and um, he's a good football player. He's gonna, you know, he's I mean, he's got absolutely got a chance. He um, he should I, from everything I've seen, he's you know a late round prospect, and um, so you know if he doesn't get drafted, he'll be a free agent for sure, and and he'll have a great chance to make a team because his his skill set will translate well to special teams, which in that situation, which is what making the team is all about. So he should, he should do well for himself. That athleticism is critical now. What percentage of the time would he be in pass coverage? Because I would think for a linebacker, there's a lot more of that than there is the run stuffing. 
Yeah, you know, these days it is. It's a different game. It's kind of interesting. The NFL is, goes through these, these cycles and phases. And and um, for me, like me personally, my skill set, I would have been better off if I was coming into the NFL right now. And um, I would have, I could have, should have, but I, I would have had a better career um, would have been on the field more and been way more impactful, impactful if I came into the league right now than when I did come into the league. And it is what it is. It just That's how life goes. But timing is everything. And when I came into the league, um, it was still a run-first league. Most of the teams, there was, it, it, my, my first couple years in the league, there was only like one or two teams, like, like uh, the Saints, and I can't remember who other, the other team was, but there's only like one or two teams that threw the ball more than they ran the ball. They, every team in the league still ran the ball, um, you know, 55, 60% of their snaps. And now that, I mean, there's only a couple teams um, that run the ball more, um, you know, like, like Tennessee last year. You know, most teams, most teams throw the rock, they air it out. And so these linebackers, they have to be fast, they have to be athletic, they have to be able to cover, they have to do well in space. And those are all the skill sets that I had. And so it, you know, these kids that are coming in, like Francis, he's great in coverage. He's a good athlete. So that'll translate well. And, and, and uh, those are the skill sets for linebackers that they are looking for right now. Well, Brian, as always, we appreciate a few minutes. Good to talk to you. And uh, maybe we'll talk to you again after the draft and uh, see what you think of where these guys go and uh, their chances of sticking. Brian, we appreciate a few minutes. Brian Keel, former BYU linebacker and a former fourth-round pick in the 2008 NFL Draft. Thor Nystrom, lead NFL Draft analyst for Roto World and NBC Sports, will join us in about 15 minutes. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. PK. We've either watched parts or all of old games. Mostly I just watch parts. I can't actually sit down and watch for three hours when I know how it's going to end. But I can dip in and out and watch parts of them. And to get ready for the draft, ESPN is actually, on ESPN2, they're rerunning first rounds of old drafts. And normally I would just blow this off in a heartbeat, and I still may not watch it. But the one thing that would intrigue me about this, if I just dip in and dip out, is seeing people either oversell somebody who's a bust or to see if someone who wasn't a name at the time and someone pumped up and said, this guy's going to be really good and then he turns out to be really good. It's kind of like redrafting NBA drafts. We go back and look like, bust, bust, bust. Ooh, that was a hit way late in the draft. Kind of that deal, except now we might see some media personalities either being very right or very wrong. Yeah, and they're they're essentially just guessing to an extent. So it's hard for me to, to criticize those guys because they're paid to have an opinion. So they can't come out there and say, yeah, I don't really know. You know and we'll have to see. You know, maybe he might be a good player. You know, what that's going to lead to is unemployment. So you're supposed to have an opinion. This guy's a great fit. He's going to be this or that and whatever. And sometimes you're right and sometimes you're wrong. So I can't really criticize them. Like, who's the one guy in the NBA, he went and uh, he would do a mock draft, 
and then he would redo the mock draft after the fact. Yeah, somebody got uh, busted for that. Look- <laughs> it was Chad Ford. Was it Chad Ford who got busted he, he for that? He would go back and edit them. <laughs> yeah. So tonight at 6 o'clock on ESPN2, they're going to have the 2014 draft that had Odell Beckham in it, Clowney was in it, uh, Johnny Football, Johnny Manziel was in it, Teddy Bridgewater, who, uh, you know, kind of up and down, but boy, he was up with the Saints last year, and now he gets his chance as a, as a full-time starter in uh, Carolina. So Charlotte, yeah. So if you want to watch that, that's ESPN two tonight, uh, six p.m. Mountain Time. Uh, they're going to have the two thousand five yeah. NFL draft tomorrow morning. That's got that's the one where Aaron Rodgers uh, slipped <laughs> so badly. So I, I would be hard pressed to actually watch an entire draft. So you you can't watch stuff. When you know the outcome, you can't watch the whole I, thing? I don't usually dedicate three hours to it, no. But it's like I told you earlier, I dropped oh, yeah. in and watched. I was waiting for something else to get going. We were going to binge watch some stuff on Netflix. And so I did watch like 20 minutes that Yankees-Mariners game. And see, it's not that big outcome. It's the, getting that little tidbit, you know. And here comes the shortstop of the future, Alex Rodriguez, into pitch run. I would have guessed that he was a young guy and already starting. Turned out he was 19 and he only played 48 regular season games. That kind of stuff interests yeah. me. But no, I didn't stick around. Oh, Okay. and watch. I think there was still like an hour and 45 minutes left in a broadcast because I checked, uh, you know, you can hit the info thing, and it was going to go a lot longer, and I wasn't going to sit there and watch it for the next two hours. So if you can't spend three hours watching something that you already know the outcome to, how have you been able to watch uh, Utah play BYU in football these last 10 years? Oh! <laughs> Thank you, PK. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280, The Zone.